Hey, y'all. Just wanted to pop in and say thank you to everyone that nominated my podcast for that podcast grant. Seriously, thank you so much. I should find something out by the end of March, um, so I will let you know. Another opportunity to support your boy is the Quill Awards. This is a podcasting um, award thing group. Um, I would love if you could just go into the show notes, check out that link, and nominate your boy for best podcast host, best show, best society culture podcast, whatever you think best fits RTWD. Appreciate y'all. All right, here's the show. What's good, y'all? My name is Jonathan Dumas, and this is the Real Talk with Dumas podcast. We have real conversations with the people I see every day because we don't know what we miss until we miss them. And y'all, I have another great guest this week, but wanted to share a few ways to continue to support the show. Number one, like always, like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Number two, follow RTWD on IG, TikTok, and that's it. Yeah, I think that's all at RTWD podcast. Um, and the third is joining the real fan Patreon page by financially supporting the show. You are literally helping to run the show. And I would I always like to remind people of this. If I've ever kept you company on your commute to work, if you ever learned something, if you ever like listened to a show and you're like, wow, that was really impactful for me. Kick your boy $3 a month. All right. Anyways, enough from me. This week, I am joined by Lola Adeyemo. Lola is the founder and CEO of EQI Mindset. Her work focuses on building inclusion from within corporate organizations, primarily at the individual and people manager and team levels. As a certified diversity, equity, and inclusion professional, she leverages her experiences as a scientist, amazing, and with the different employee resource groups within different functions to tell stories through speaking. She also designs and facilitates custom workshops and strategy sessions for formal business teams and informal teams such as employee resource groups. Lola and I spent some time talking about her background as a scientist and how she has transitioned into the work that she's currently doing, her story as an immigrant, and, and how that informs the work that she does with organizations, and finally, her book, which I'm really excited about, Immigrant Women in Corporate America. All right, y'all, here is Lola. Lola, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Jonathan, for having me. I'm excited to be on here, listening to a yes. couple of episodes and yeah, making room for the podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I read a little bit about um about you from what you sent over to me, but I would love for you to just like share um, you know, a little bit about yourself, who you are and everything like that with the real fam. Yeah, sure. So um I was in corporate and when I would start that conversation of tell me about Lola, I used to start with my title. Mm. And then I'm on this journey to, you know, owning my identity and really mm. standing firm in that. And now when people ask me, I'm always, I'm this girl from Nigeria. I'm the first <laughs> I love that. My life in Nigeria, born and raised. And I've been in the U.S. Uh, for a couple of years, worked in corporate America. And I have a family that I love. <laughs> and, <laughs> My work and my family uh, give me purpose every day. Mm. I love that. No, thanks so much for sharing. I, I kind of like resonate with that. I um 
I feel like in corporate America or a lot of different places where I've been, it's like the very first question people tend to ask is like, all right, what do you do? And like, I feel with that question, people are trying to figure out like, I don't know, there's like an identity that comes with like your job, but also like to some extent for some people, I feel like they're trying to get something out of you. Like, what can I get from based off of what this person does? Like networking and I get it, but you know, I just met you at a coffee shop. Like, why we got to talk about business? <laughs> and so, or, or like, we're at a party, man. Like, why am I talking about work? I don't want to talk about work. I know. So now I, I like to introduce myself. You know, I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a son. Um, I'm a kid from, you know, San Diego. Love my hometown. Live in Long Beach. I have 25 plants. Like, all of these different things that I list about myself um, before yeah. I even get into, like, the work that I do. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that's the point, right? There's certain things that people can always read about you. Mm-hmm. But when people ask you, who are you? I want to get to know you. It should be mm-hmm. about, you know, the things that really make you you. Um, yeah. And that's important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, check out my LinkedIn. You you can you can learn all of the things that I do as far as work if you want to get to know me that way. <laughs> um so I would love for you to share just a little bit um, about your journey. Um, I In your bio, you shared like, you know, your, your, your background is like scientist, biochemistry and all that kind of in corporate America. But now you're doing this work with ERGs and developing workshops and speaking and stuff like that. Kind of what was the transition there? How did you like go from scientist to like this person that works with ERGs? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how I got here, um, yeah. but I started off as a young girl. I just was always very curious. Mm-hmm. So going into science was kind of a natural path for me. I always wanted to figure out like, you know, I look at this matchstick, like how did they make it? How did they put that on there? You know, I was just very mm-hmm. curious. Yeah. And, and so science was just natural for me. But then in, in grad school, I knew I wasn't going to be at the bench mm-hmm. for the rest of my life because I love interacting with people and I got yeah. bored by routine. Mm-hmm. So when I would have to run an experiment, once I do it once, I'm done. But then that's not what you do <laughs> as a yeah. scientist. You repeat it and document every detail and I would get bored. Yeah. And I yep. wanted, you know, the people part of it was was very important. So when I started working, um, still stayed in the life science and biotech uh, space. And I'm okay. still very passionate about that industry. That's the industry that I primarily serve right mm-hmm. now. Um, but I wanted to bridge the gap I could see there. So mm. I could see we had the technical people, we had the scientists, then we had the non-technical people, the people people. And for me, that was always a mystery that I wanted to solve. Like, we need to work together. You know, we are all serving the same customers. We are working in the same company. And I think that naturally drew me to employee resource groups because that really is what employee resource groups are. These are like mm-hmm. space in companies where everybody can, you know, plug into whatever you want. So employee resource groups was kind of like a parallel career for me as I Mm. worked operations, as I moved to procurement, I was always part of an employee resource group. And I just saw it as two parallel, you know, career path, like employee resource groups and then my job. Uh, But then I was tapped on the shoulder to join DEI. And I remembered my first thought was, well, I'm not HR. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a trained HR person, but I I knew I wanted to do the work that they were doing, really getting to understand what the DEI team was doing. I was like, well, that sounds amazing. 
that's what I want to do. I didn't know I could do it as a full-time job. Mm. <laughs> and so <laughs> getting into it was more of finding my passion. Yeah. Moving from just going to my work to finding my passion for people and for elevating voices um, that I otherwise, you know, missed. So yeah. that's how I got into DEI. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. And I, I mean, shout out to my Black Ad group. I know um, from my previous organization, like, that like those employee resource groups can be like incredibly life-giving just like being around people from different parts within the organization so y'all know that work but also you get to just like show up you know what i'm saying you know you don't have to care about like care about anything else or anything um all the other like baggers that you might have to in other like spaces of an organization but just like like in particular this one was the um black at group so it was just like all bunch of black black folks, the diaspora, um, and everything like that. And so it's kind of cool. Just like, you know, just like just being together, hanging out. It was, it was really fun. Um, and I've just heard that, that, that these things, uh, can be like incredibly like helpful for employees. Um, yes. but I actually didn't get a, get to experience like any other ERG at any other organization I was at. Like this was the very first one and it was just like founded just based off of a conversation but for you, you working with ERGs at other organizations and stuff like that, kind of like, what have you seen from those? Because I know from ours, it was like a ragtag. We're trying to make this thing happen. Um, it wasn't really like, uh, wasn't really like uh, structured. I mean, you don't necessarily need structure, but it was just like, hey, we're going to do this thing or put some stuff together. Like, how have you seen kind of like the ebbs and flows of, you know, ERGs from different organizations? Yeah, it's a it's a very wide spectrum. So mm -hmm. what you said exactly, a lot of ERGs just start off like that. Like mm -hmm. people just like, I need my people. I need yeah. to find my people. Whatever that looks like for me, I need my people at this company. And people just kind of migrate towards each other and an mm -hmm. ERG is born. We have companies that officially start their ERGs, you know, kind of set it up, set up the structure. And some of these have been in the works for years, mm. so yeah. not new. So they have their way of doing things. This is our ERG functions. This is our, you know, structure for leadership. There are companies that have that. And there are those that are just starting it right now. Mm. So depending on where you are, the work that I do is I meet you there. Mm. Primarily life science and biotech companies are still yeah. a little behind on adopting these groups. So for mm. me, I want to start with getting people to understand what these groups really are so that you can support them at your organization. Mm. Um, but what is, the support looks like is also different. So there is, if you want to start one, if you are very new to the conversation, I can help you start it. There is, we already have one, but we are kind of like what you said. We're just like, we, we came together and we just like get together. Mm. We don't really have any structure. Now, mm. those are the kind of groups that I do, you know, work with a couple of months, a workshop, a couple of months, because what you want to do is you want to start with what are we doing? What are mm -hmm. we about? How are we supporting the group that we represent? And, you know, how is, where does our company stand? And how can we connect what we do with what a company wants to do? Mm -hmm. And then we have those that are thriving, that are already acting as resources for businesses. And so partnering with talent, um, recruitment efforts, partnering with the business. So it's like a growth curve for ERGs. Um, but primarily 
what I always want people to realize is when it comes to ERGs, there's the person involved. You know, you shouldn't be lost in the equation. You mm. know, what is the need for you? Why are you in there? Mm-hmm. And then the second one is your team. So your day job, there's an impact. How are you showing up differently for your day job? How are you pulling your day job members into um, the work that you do? And then the company as a whole, where does yeah. your organization really stand? So ERGs shouldn't be a standalone effort for your DEI. The company should have a DEI strategy mm-hmm. and the ERG should be a part of it. And and then and then there is the, you know, succession planning. How do you keep your ERGs thriving and succeeding? All of the yeah. conversations around the reward and leadership support. Um, all of that needs to happen as well, but it takes time and, and, and it's a journey. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I was even thinking about like, you know, you you said something very important there. It's like like ERGs need to be a part of like the overall like DEI strategy. And I feel like sometimes they're just like left off off the map of like oh there's just they're just a group hanging out you know and yeah. and um no they're really they're really really not sorry you it looked like you were gonna say something no that's what i'm saying i said i was yeah. i was trying to display the hanging for you like ERGs oh yeah are just like, and yeah like check the box like oh yeah we have an erg we're good well yep. how are you supporting your ergs mm-hmm. are you using them as your free labor yeah to say we do dei because we have an erg mm-hmm. that's a no you know, so it's like either you leave them hanging or you make them do all the work. It doesn't yep. work. You know, you have to support. There's a lot that goes into supporting ERGs. So, yeah, yeah, because it, it, I mean, from what I was, what I was feeling, and like they were, I mean, the company was literally trying to figure it out. But the, um, from what I was feeling was like there was a lot of you know additional labor, free labor on top of that work, and I'm just like, all right, I could do this, or like we could do this, or in collaboration with the group that was putting it on. But like, we're not getting, you know, financially, you know, no financial backing. So we have to find, you know, either we got to put our money there or find a bunch of free stuff <laughs> that we could do. Um, and then in our in our schedules of everyday work or in the schedules of everybody's work, find a place for that to go or do it after hours. So it, it's, it's a lot of, I mean, it was fun and I loved being in those spaces. But at the same time, you know, that like it is, it, it ends up being like this free labor. And then companies can benefit off of like, oh, like we got this like black hat group or like, you know, you know, what whatever like uh ERG that there is. And there's there's plenty. Which leads me to another question. I feel like there um folks like get those who know about like an employee resource group, they think that it's just like uh, a bunch of black people or a bunch of uh Latinx people or th- this group. Like it's based off of like race. Like what kind of like employee resource groups like exist? Um, within an organization or can exist within an organization. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And that's because of the origin of employer resource groups. So mm. employer resource groups actually started off as like black groups within corporations. So that's, mm-hmm. that's the origin. It was a way to bring black people together, find that community. And then when the whole affirmative action stuff started, we started having more of like women. So mm. first it started with, you know, black employees and then moved to women. So gender-based. Um, but then in recent years now, we're moving away from just those two to more of data-based, data-driven. Where do we stand? Where do we have a need? Yeah. Um, and how can we bring our people together for mm-hmm. that need? For example, we have onboarding ERGs now. Mm. We have 
ERGs that are focused on, hey, we have a problem with people leave and we've identified um, an area, that spectrum, like people leave a lot within the first 90 days or something. Yeah. And so we're trying to address that by putting effort into getting people to understand what we're about, getting people to feel like part of the company in the first 90 days or something. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, an ERG that uh, one of uh, uh, group members uh, runs is for cancer support. Mm-hmm. So families, I think it's something around family, uh, um, employees that have family members that have cancer. Got it. Yeah. Things like that. So it's more like a support system, support network, a caregiver yeah. sort of yeah. uh, groups. And it's because the work they do is in that space or somebody identified that there are a lot of us that have that and we want to have a safe space for us to get the resources and the tools that we need. Mm. So so things like that. Um, when I started the Working Parents Employee Resource Group at my company, it was because I could I wanted to find that community. Yeah. And I did have, you know, one of the leaders asked me that question that, well, th- that's not an ethnic ERG. That's not a minority or underserved group. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, but it's a group that is not heard. Mm. So that's the difference. You know, there's, you have a population that is not being heard, that has unique needs. How do you as a company get to listen and really understand what is needed if you don't have a platform to really capture those voices? So ERGs are shaping to become more of, intersectional groups first. So instead of black ERG or Asian ERG, now we're having multicultural ERG, mm-hmm. depending on, you know, what your population is like. We are, because you don't have to make people feel like, you know, you have to be these or these to be a part of the ERGs. Yeah, exactly. You know, so ERGs are taking that into account, people's um, intersectionality mm-hmm. and also the data and the needs. What voices do we want to hear from? What voices are not represented enough within our company? You know, so we have generational ERG. Mm. So ERGs that have a goal around bringing different generations uh, together, communicate better within the company. So, so the idea is that start with your data and then listen to the voices that are coming forward. Sometimes it's as easy as what is being asked for by your employees. You know, if you have a survey and then how to create that space in a way where the people that you're trying to create belonging for are Mm -hmm. able to access the groups. Uh, Because sometimes saying black ERG, that might work. If the goal is to connect the black employees within your company so that they have a community, then that's good. But if the goal is around allyship, that means you want allies to also be a part. Right. So really yeah. thinking through what are we about yep. and how are we primarily structured so that we can support what we are about. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Thanks so much for breaking that down because <clears throat> I feel um, I feel like sometimes we just like get lost in the sauce. Right. Like <laughs> and overcomplicate <laughs> certain things. Um, but I love how you, you had mentioned just like data driven, like let's just like figure out, let's ask the question, number one of like, you know, a survey or an analyze the data of like, what is necessary, what is needed within organizations, create it in surrounding that. What is the need that we have here? Sometimes, you know, common sense doesn't exist. Like it's just, it's just well, overcomplicated. That's how you get the people that are being performative about ERGs. It's like, yep. oh, what's the latest one that everybody has? I'm going to have it. What's yeah. the latest thing that you know everybody is hyping about? Then, then you start it, right? 
Yeah. Does, if you try and do that, that becomes another point of exclusion because what you're doing is you're trying to please all these population groups and then you leave out some people. And add in stuff you you might not even need to your organization. That's exactly. hilarious. Um, so, well, that, that leads me to this. Like, what what do you think is missing from, like, ERGs right now? I, I think we touched on a little bit, like, how organizations are not necessarily doing um, – putting together ERGs necessarily for like based off of data or anything like that. You know, there's employees that are putting these ERGs together because they see a need, they're feeling the need, which is great. Um, but then there still feels like there's this missing like piece here. And I, I think when we talked before, you'd, you'd mentioned like even for, for um, immigrant folks that are coming into these workspaces that may be black, but like <laughs> somebody who is like uh, me being from San Diego, I'm black, but like, you being from Nigeria, like you're black, it's not the same. Like the experiences and stuff like that is not the same. <laughs> so, the same. and and that that makes me laugh because that reminds me of when I first attended my first black ERG um, event at the mm-hmm. company I used to work at. I was super excited, you know, like oh yeah, black, you know, it's black history month and black ERG is putting together these. And I saw like the flyer. I said there's going to be some food, some yeah. you know black. <laughs> And I get it. I'm like, what is this stuff? <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's soul food. I'm like, what is soul food? <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess my idea of black people food is different. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> Yo, we are not the same. That's hilarious. <laughs> Oh gosh. So like, what is, what is, what is missing from like the equation there? Cause I feel like, yeah, it, it's just kind of, it's kind of hard to one, please everybody, but two, how do you create these spaces where you might have a situation that comes up like that? Yeah. And I, and I think that's why I call ERGs spaces for belonging mm-hmm. your way. And I, and I think it's really everybody, it's personal for everybody. What belonging means to you. For me, by default, everybody saw me and it was always, oh, you, you're black, you're black. You get all this black stuff. No, I didn't. Yeah, I grew up in Nigeria. So for me, it's about gender equity. Mm. So I was always super passionate about, I wanted to be involved in, you know, mentoring young girls, program for women, women advancement. That's my passion because I didn't know anything about black being a thing until I got into corporate America. Mm. I grew up in a place where being black is not even like, I don't know, nobody uses the word black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I think nobody would know that without really knowing me. And, and I, I use that to drive home the points that when it comes to belonging, every individual should have the freedom to kind of plug into wherever, you know, whatever you have, whatever eating, you know, if you have an eating disability that nobody knows about, if you're mm. comfortable saying that this is more of a priority and the group I want to join has to do with accommodations mm-hmm. or employees, right? You shouldn't, the company's responsibility is to make the spaces available. Yeah. The employees need to have the comfort level, you know, create those spaces and support them in a way where you build the trust mm-hmm. for your people to join whatever they want to join. Yeah. You know, you don't force people and you don't make it mandatory. Um, You know, it's authentic spaces where, you know, leaders or highly visible people that 
connect with any of these groups are also publicly advocating. I had a women's group where we had a male, white male um, executive sponsor, but he wasn't just there as representative. He was there because he truly cared and it was apparent. Even before mm-hmm. he got into the position, he was always talking about, you know, gender and women. It mm-hmm. was very apparent that he cared about having women advance and, and equity for women in the workplace. And so he was there yeah. leading the women. So, so again, I, I think that authenticity is, is hard for companies because you're so huge. There's a lot yep. to capture. And sometimes we lose all of that in trying to be, you know, structured and do what you're supposed to do or, or play to PR. Um, yeah. that, that we lose the focus of what are we about? What are we actually trying to do is create the spaces so that our, our employees can belong the way they choose to belong, you know, whatever that means for them. Yeah, no, I, I love that point. And, and even changing it to like a sense of belonging, because you're right, like, there can be a missing link. Like, I'm thinking about even for me, like within um, a US context is that like, there are some people that like within um, even the ERG I was a part of, like the way I grew up, <laughs> like working class is sometimes like no money <laughs> um, compared to some of them, like middle class, upper middle class, they have no idea or context about like, you know, why I think that um, uh, pay equity is so important or any of those things. Like there is a, 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 a disconnect of that because like they didn't live the life that I live. And so like for me, um, making sure that, you know, people have ample opportunity to, to make the most that they can, that they're fully supported by the organization, like is incredibly important to me um, compared to just like, yeah, com- compared to just like, you know, hey, like you... <laughs> You, you just didn't negotiate well enough right. or something like that, you know, right. um, which there are parts of that, that that are true. But no, that that's a that's a really great point. You had mentioned earlier about um, creating spaces like organizations, creating spaces of support and all that stuff. What would you say to the, the opposite end of those who say like, well, that shouldn't be the responsibility of, of organizations to create these spaces um, like employees, if they want this, they should just go ahead and make it. I think it's. The way corporate organizations are structured, though, employees can try if the organization doesn't support it. It's not going to be sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the nature of corporate workspaces by itself. It's the structure. It's the bureaucracy and and all of that. So it's the reason why we're speaking to leaders because they have a role in making it, you know, the, the spaces available and accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. But you're right. Employees still need to come forward. Yeah. Uh, so I was talking to a client a couple of months ago around a specific ERGs. I was asking if they have that. And he, and, and he said, oh, no, we don't um, because nobody has ever asked for it. Mm-hmm. But they, are, they have ERGs. They have supportive ERGs. And I was asking about, because I was asking about parents because of the whole climate. And they said, well, nobody has ever asked for it. Mm. And And so sometimes... We miss that part. Like it's a combination of both. You yeah. know, the company has to approve. You can't just the company, the employees can't just go do their own thing. If they go do their own thing, it will serve them, maybe. Mm-hmm. But how do they want to connect to the population that they want to serve? Mm-hmm. They still need the support of that company to be able to make a difference for your group. 
So if you just want to create a space where you and your bodies can hang out, then that's fine, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right? (laughs) And when you leave the company, then you leave the company. Then other bodies will start getting together. You find bodies somewhere else, right? That's different. When you call it an employee resource group, there's going to be an aspect of it that is about the company Mm -hmm. and then a certain population within the company. Mm-hmm. And and now we are hearing terms like business resource groups. So more like a growth path for ARGs when you start off as employee resource groups. A growth path, something to look forward to, something to work towards will be becoming a strategic support for the company. Mm-hmm. So we're saying we're an ERG, but we want to be a support for you. It has to come from the employees. It has to come from the groups saying, hey, we see this huge gap. We see that the company is trying to do this, but... You know, we see this gap and we want to partner with you in this area. Mm-hmm. And that's why every ERG is not going to have the same mission or vision. You and the group that you represent need to spend time really understanding this is what the company is all about. For us, we have to focus on this. Yeah. And you need to be clear about that. It might not be the same, you know, women and African and Asian might not be the same focus, but being clear about it, helps you not to be everywhere, you know, and then you can partner with the right functions and groups at the company level. No, yeah. And I, th- that's a great point of like, you know, it has to be a collaborative effort between corporate and like employees or like company and employees. I think right. oftentimes people see it as, um, people see it as like us versus them or like company versus employee. And it really isn't, it really isn't about that. It really is like a collaborative effort. Like how can we make these spaces um, like more supportive or more equitable or more, or more of this. Right. And it's like more of an invitation into this, this thing, but employees do have to like make the um, choice in being a part of this or raising a concern or like raising this as a need. Um, but there needs to be like some level of psychological safety, right? So it, exactly. there is like this, yeah. So it's a combination. I mean, and and I I think about when I talk about starting the the working parents um, started it off as a program. It didn't exist, and I mm-hmm. remember when I was going to meet with somebody on the side leadership because I had talked to other people and they just talked about all these issues they were having. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I just had this baby. I'm looking for all of this support. I have all these questions. I don't know where to ask. I don't see a space to bring parents together at this company. And I remember putting a meeting on the calendar of one of the site leaders and I was super nervous. Like, what the heck am I doing? And I went to that meeting to say, we need this. And she said, well, why don't you start it? And I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why don't you start it? What do you need? Yeah, yeah. And there was the support, right? There was the support to get it started. So it's it's a different thing if you raise up your hand and they say, well, start it, do whatever you want. We don't care, right? So there are multiple aspects of it. You need to have people willing to do the work or to, I guess I shouldn't say do the work (laughs) because that's a sensitive area right there. Yeah, yeah. You have your day job, you have what you do for the company. And the Mm -hmm. reason why a lot of people don't get involved with ERGs is that this is unpaid work that I'm doing. Yeah. So it takes having some people, some some people that say I'm going to, I'm willing to go the extra mile above and beyond, and make some noise. Mm-hmm. Somebody's always going to have to do some extra work. Yeah. But then when you get the support from the company, that support should come in the form of relieving your work. 
I was just about to ask that. Yeah. It's just like, what if they were able to carve out five to 10 hours a month or something like that to put towards this ERG? Exactly. And and we have companies now that are creating roles for ERG program manager, Mm -hmm. which is very specific. Yeah. That didn't exist before. Now you're realizing a need for somebody who is supporting all our ERGs. Yeah. And that's their day job. That's their full-time job. And the difference also is that for somebody to be supporting all the ERGs, it helps with the conversations around intersectionality and allyship. Yeah. Because think about it. Each ERG has their own focus. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to support, you know, my Black people. I want us to be fine at this company. We are too... Then you have another ERG that says, I want to support women. I want us to be good. But then when you have an ERG program manager, somebody with oversight, there's a different level of skill set. Mm-hmm. It has to be somebody that is, you know, equipped to support all the groups equally, regardless yeah. of what their personal um, individual preferences are. So I think companies are realizing that, you know, carving out that support um, is important because there's a lot of work to be done. And if you keep saying you don't have money to pay ERGs, well, you have money to do business. Yeah. <laughs> you to do business. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. No, that, I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's such a good point. That, no, that's such a good point. Cause I didn't even think of like, well, when you were, before you even said that there's like a position, I'm like, well, that needs to be a position. But then I'm like, wait a minute. Like, it, does, does that need to be a position? Um, cause I'm thinking, I'm gonna run you through my thought process. Cause I'm like, that needs to be a whole position to like help support all those ERGs. And like, right. obviously there's like volunteers that jump in, um, to keep it going. Uh, and it's necessary, but like, how is that person's time structured and all that stuff? And this is my organizational psychologist brain going because like putting together a job description now. But the um, but but that but from what I've seen from ERGs, from my own experiences within um, companies, and just like working with companies, like that needs to be a position. There's no way that an ERG, uh, ERGs across an organization, especially a very large one, can right. function properly without somebody who's dedicated to like making sure and, and, and managing some of the time and supporting some of the uh some of the efforts from the ERGs ap- across an organization or a company and so it's a lot of work it's a lot of pieces and and you know especially when you look at it at a corporate level it's like so many layers you know you have multiple direct reports and structures and I wrote an article recently about ERG people's strategy. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly about this. What is needed for to lead an ERG? That's mm-hmm. when we talk about having the passion for that group, right? Having really the willingness to go above and beyond. So you're talking about the leader, then you're talking about the membership and the participants. Mm-hmm. Like for some people, I just want to come to a space where I feel safe. Yes. I had ERGs where I was just a member. And I'll tell you, I had to make that distinction for myself, even with black ERGs. I told you about my experience with that's not really because that wasn't my primary passion. But as a black person in America, I learned quickly that being black in in America is a thing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Wait. Yeah. I needed I needed my black ERG to be safe. Yeah. And and even with the 2020 chaos and everything. I would go into that space and I would, you know, take off whatever hat I'm supposed to be wearing and just yeah. be, yeah, and just be there and just breathe. Mm-hmm. And it was such a safe space for me. So, so I think, yeah, I think we need different skill sets for 
um, the different uh, ERG support. You know, if you're going to be a participant, that's good. You can have an ERG where I just want to attend. I just want to learn. I'm a learner in this space, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can say, um, I don't know what LGBTQ um, persons at my company need, but mm-hmm. I want to understand. You can attend their events because you want to learn, yeah. right? So that you can be a better ally. You can say, I'm not a woman, but I want to understand these issues, right? I want to be a participant in that ERG, even though I'm not a woman, you know? So things like that is like, that's where people kind of have to separate, like, what's my goal for being here? What do I need? And if Mm -hmm. there's one where you're super passionate about, that's where your belonging sits. Yeah, yeah. That's where you say, you know, I can go above and beyond for this ERG because this is where my heart is. And, and so being able to understand that difference um, for yourself is also important for the company, though, when you are setting up a structure to support. It's like you need somebody who can pull all of these together mm-hmm. to support the overall inclusion for the company. No, I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> um, and I think you, you map out some, 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 some great things and understanding why are you showing up? What is, uh, what is the purpose of you being there? And like, you know, there's a difference between showing up to the events, right, and then going to like that ERG like meeting and putting those things right. together. Right. Um, no, and and each of those each of those like postures, I guess, serve yeah. a different serve a different purpose. Yeah, um, and I think most people have it all separate. So when I first got in, involved in ERG, we would have like different ERGs just doing their thing. Mm-hmm. You just come across some flyers, and I remember the first time I set up a meeting, like you know, like just using our intranet. I was like, who, who leads this ERG? Who leads mm. this ERG? Can we all just meet? Like, yeah. what ERGs do we even have? And we literally had to set up a meeting using the intranet to find out who is who. Oh, and wow. Say, Let's meet. And then it turned into like a a whole thing. It turned into like a cross ERG within the company meeting. Mm-hmm. And we started having monthly and it was built out into like there's a calendar of events but it all started with a message on the intranet like can we meet Mm. because we're not competing we are all about inclusion for different groups we should you know stop setting up our events clashing and then making people have to choose Mm -hmm. and, and those kind of things and then comparing those like what are our issues now we are able to present a united a framework mm-hmm. for the company to say, here's the challenges we're all having. Um, but all of that is, is a process, right? Yeah. It's, it, it takes, it takes place over time. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm even thinking of like how beneficial that is for the organization, right? Like to even have all the ERGs like meet, put together this calendar. Cause I, I'm not going to nerd out, but like the, the um, like stat shows, study show research shows that like, when somebody feels like they belong, i.e. a community, i.e. you know ERG group, i.e. like a good team, like that really does benefit the organization in and of itself. So like yes. for companies not to provide some level of support or some, and when I mean support, I'm talking about money. <laughs> um, like you're really like, you know, handicapping yourself. Like why would you do that? Um, like, you know, trying to, you know, hey, we care about employees, but you're not willing to put, you know, your money where your mouth is by supporting an ERG or all these other, you know, volunteer efforts um, for, for your employees. It's, it's wild to me. Yeah. I, I, I'm very cautious about uh, conversations about money now. 
Yeah. <laughs> because I've been following the news, right? So paying ARGs, pay your ARGs. I absolutely support pay your ARGs. Yeah, yeah. But one of the reasons why I'm cautious about it is because I have been part of an ARG. I've been mm. a member. I've been a leader. I've started yeah. one. And yep. that's, that's my space right now. Yeah. And what I've learned is that sometimes it could be the easiest things for companies to just throw at you. Yeah. They could throw the money and say, hey, we pay you. So whatever, you should be happy. Uh-huh. Right? So it's, yeah, you just have to be careful. It's all part of becoming performative again. It's mm. The company can throw money and still not support. Yes, no, energy. that's good. Yeah. And then you can have employees that are, in it for the money. Mm, mm. So again, it's both both sides of things, right? Yeah. Um, even with you know, with leading an ERG, with um, managing an ERG, I did see there were employees that were like, "Hey, what's in it for me? Which mm-hmm. leader is coming to our event? I gotta show up. Yep. Otherwise, I'm not showing up. I don't have time. I'm busy. Yeah. But yeah. Then, say this is happening. This person is coming. Then they're there, front and center, mm-hmm. and you know, making all of the talks. You yeah. know, so yeah. it's like. <laughs> On both sides, it could be misconstrued and it could mm. be misabused. Yeah, really. yeah. So I like to always say it's a deeper conversation. Let's talk about it. Each each situation is unique. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to say I'm very. You know, our DNI is very advanced because we have ERG. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to say I'm better than your company because I pay my ERG. Yep, yep. <laughs> so there are different <laughs> layers to this conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that distinction. And yeah, it's it it really does come back to like the data, like the data driven. You know, uh, your scientific background and then my psychologist background of like, what is the outcomes that we're wanting from this? How can we um, and how can we best use whether it be time, money, like overall resources to get the, get towards these outcomes or get the best outcomes. Right. And like coming back to it, evaluating it, assessing it, all those different things. Yeah. 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 Definitely have to be uh, cautious (laughs) when we're talking about money. No, I I like that distinction. Um, So when you're working with like organizations and stuff like that, and you're like having these talks, like what is like some of your biggest hopes um, in reference to like an ERG or helping teams um, and working with leaders? I think it's to sum up what we've been talking about is I want, I really want organizations to understand um, when I, when I, when I focus on ERG, it's not because like, I don't know, ERG is like the be all, no all. People could call it different things. You know, you could just be a committee or a task force uh, because depending on the size of the company, they might not have a formalized ERG. Mm-hmm. So what I'm really hoping for is that companies see that there is immense value for the employees when they are able to come together safely. Mm. And and so I use that leaning into belonging. Really, we all win. When we lean into belonging, you know, the manager, the executive leader, the mm. individual employee who shows up to work and has like an individual contributor role. Like when we all lean into belonging, I really want leadership, you know, the people that I'm working with, DEI leaders or business leaders to get that, that it's all about belonging and it's not separate Mm -hmm. from any other thing. So I work primarily with life science and biotech uh, companies. and, And for me, it's understanding that the fact that your company is doing amazing work is not what will keep your employees there is the experience that they have every day when they show up to work. So 
hyping what your company does is not new in this space. Every mm-hmm. company in life science and biotech space is saving the world or doing something amazing, right? Yeah. And this is usually why people join. But they stay because of the experiences that they have every day. Mm-hmm. How are you making your employees feel? How are you treating them? How are they getting their work done? How are they getting appreciated? All of these is about making people human, you know, at your company. And it impacts everything. So I, when I work with them, I really want to get into where I connect with the person I'm working with is, are we on this page that this is more than just checking the box? This is more than, you know, spending money. This is deeper. This is about people. Mm. That's really all there is. You know, it's about people and the way they belong at your company. If you don't get that, you know, everything else we're trying to do will become kind of another checklist. Yeah. No, no, that's great. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And I, yeah, I do that in my own practice and and, and making sure I make it a very apparent that like, this isn't, when we're talking about like providing spaces where people feel comfortable enough to show up as them, as their full selves, you know, um, it it can't be a box, you know what I'm saying? It can't be just like, I'm gonna throw money at it. It can't be, you know, showing up every now and again, it really is consistent work. Um, it could be at times like exhausting because you're doing that on top of your already your professional work. Right. Um, and so like, how committed are you to, to creating spaces for your employees to thrive? Cause they can go anywhere else. Like they can make money anywhere else. Right. But, like, what do you, are, do you care? Essentially? Right. Do you like care? Um, right. No, so I love I love that. I love and, that. And that's what employees yeah. want to know. That's why it comes down yes. to like what are people looking for? You know, it's like people, you know, have all these conversations around money. Of course, everybody wants to get paid more money. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to get a promotion. But do you really care about me? Yeah. Or am I just, you know, like very dispensable to you? Mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, when, when companies get to that point where my people just want to be seen as people. Yeah, and, and want to know that you truly care about me because also if you can't support your employees through a season of their life, like life is always going to happen. Yeah. Right. Yep. Life stuff. So all of these conversations around flexible work schedule, hybrid work, work from, you know, like all of these conversations around the perks and all of that. For me, I really think it's, if you really care about the people, you can support them through different phases of their life. If at mm-hmm. a certain time your employee needs to be remote or be flexible because, you know, you should trust them enough to know that they're telling the truth when they explain. And mm-hmm. it's not going to be forever. You know, the next season might be a different need. And and just that understanding um, that, you know, there might be people that will misuse things. But if you start from that place of trusting your employees, Mm-hmm. you know if they misuse it that's a different conversation right but you start from the place of i trust you to do your work so i'm going to trust that you do it in the way that works for you mm-hmm. and you get it done yeah i even have like a short story like i remember one of the first um one of the first jobs i had out of college i was like an admissions counselor and so part of that role for like three months it's like a lot of travel it's travel season it's exhausting um 12 14 hour days sometimes but um, a lot of the time, actually. But uh, I remember um, I had to move. So I had to move back home with my parents because like my living situation fell apart. So um, I remember for probably like two or three months, I had to like, I was living from home and my commute because of traffic was like two hours each way if I were to go back into the office. 
So, um, but thank goodness where my parents lived was my like territory, like of, of um, travel. So essentially what I worked out with my supervisors is like, hey, I'll come into the office when I need to refill on like marketing material or anything like that. But like for me to come in and be in the office eight um, at eight and then have a fare to, so I would have to leave um, and drive back where I, in the area where I live or, you know, it would have probably taken me about 45 minutes. It doesn't make any sense, you know? Yeah. And so like, is it cool that I just come in, restock, go to fair, whatever. And for like three months, like I was basically, you know, essentially living out of my car because <laughs> travel, I would just go home or whatever. But like, yeah, I would just go. And if it, if time allowed, I would work out of the office two hours, then drive, drive home, go to a fair, you know, spend the day, like going to different schools and everything like that. But it was just like that kind of like understanding, like and flexibility was like nice. And then we had like a check check in every few weeks, like how is everything going? What's your living situation like? Are you okay? You know, um, and it and it worked and it worked. And and then I moved back back in the area and it, and it worked out fine. I mean, it's th- that place still sucked to work, but <laughs> but for that <laughs> but for that time <laughs> but for that time like for 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 that time period, it was like nice to know that like. Um, that like I had like that supervisor who like cared enough to be like, you know what, like it is ridiculous yes. that like you would have to do all that. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. like figure it out, you know? So, it, and it come down to it and that, you know, helped me yeah. get through that time. Yeah. And that's why I said, you know, it comes down to the experience you have with your manager. And yep. I hear people say this all the time now. It's, you know, the same company, you hear somebody talk about a different experience and a different experience. Like, oh, my man, I love my manager. I love my team. And then you hear somebody, oh my gosh, I can't wait to get out of here. They're talking about the experience they have yep. at that season with their manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's yeah. the same company, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's just it's just really... I, I've had, you know, seasons where when I had my daughter and my husband lived like uh, walked like so far away from the house, I had to do a lot of drop-offs in the morning. And yep. I remember having the conversation with my manager to say, I can't come in earlier than 9.30. Mm-hmm. in the morning and i have to leave at this time to pick my daughter but i can you know i can do some work in the evening to make sure i finish up whatever and his approach was like i completely understand you do yeah. what you have to do yeah. and for me that that trust even pressured me more because he was basically saying set up what works for you for this season i trust that you will get the work done and I'm like, okay, I can't let him down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it's just like so frustrating that like those conversations are not more normalized, or maybe they're maybe they're just not like um, they're not just like out there or advertised a whole lot. But like, I feel like if folks knew that they could do that or have a conversation with their supervisor or whatever, and, and feel like they would be supported, that they would have that conversation so much more. Um, I think yeah. we have been forced to have those conversations because like, you know, COVID and everything like that, but, I, but like even pre COVID, like I would have never imagined like, um, to have a conversation like that. Like there's some places where I'm like, I literally don't need to come in before 9am or like, I don't need to, like, why are we open on the 4th of July? Everybody, nobody's worried about their barbecuing. Why are we open? <laughs> um, it's just like uh, different things like that. Or, you know, like. Why do we need to work during the summer where kids literally are not worried about college right now? Like they're having a time of our time of their lives before they go off to college. Like 
we could be off early at, at Fridays. We don't need to work <laughs> till 5 p.m., 6 p.m. on a Friday during the summer because they they don't care. They literally yeah, and, don't care. And I love the examples you're giving because it's all in context of what you do, yes. right? It's yeah. all, what do I do? Who do I serve? Mm-hmm. And how are they impacted this season? And it's funny because the only examples I'm bringing up are having kids mm-hmm. and how difficult it was for me to have these conversations. Yeah. So it still says the same thing we're talking about is like, it's not something that is normal, right? Yeah. Like I will walk crazy hours because that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But when I didn't have a choice and I had a life that depended on me, right? Yep. I had to have that conversation and I was super scared about it. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't have a choice. If mm-hmm. I had a choice, I'll probably have taken the choice and not even had the conversation. Yep. So we are not having these spaces where we can have all of these in a very, very open, open way. Even, yeah, it's even telling, telling um, my boss that I wanted to go back and get a degree uh, a few years ago. I remember being super scared. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he's going to think, you know, I can't get my job done. He's going to mm-hmm. think, oh, she's going to, you know, I don't know. I just had this fear. Yeah. I ended up saying it and then I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. You know, I'm going to take, like I was, I literally said it. And then I started explaining all the reasons why he didn't need to worry about my work, Mm -hmm. you know, telling him my routine, like, oh, I'll be taking classes at night. I'll be working over the weekend. So it's completely fine. (laughs) You know, so why did I feel so much fear? And then why did I feel I had to like explain a way Mm -hmm. to make my boss think, oh, she's still going to do our job. Yeah. Because that's what we hired you to do. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, that's that's good. And I, I, I had a conversation with somebody before because I I've I'm pushing a lot of this stuff like in my own my own work of like, you know, we just need to trust employees. More. Like you just need to trust employees more. Like there's so much research that shows that people want to work, do a good job in their right. in their job. Like right. they want to right. there's so much research. Um uh, but we treat employees like they are uh, like they're enemies of the company. Like they're going to take advantage of time. They're going to take advantage of this. But they take advantage of the company because like you don't trust them, or because like right. they feel like they've been taken advantage of. And so right. I'm, I'm I'm trying to communicate to this person is like, what do you do when somebody you know like I feel like a lot of people will take advantage of it. And I'm like, well, that actually it's not it's not true. Like that's a that's a misconception. Well, um, but that's the thing advantage. is, people that we take advantage, we still take advantage. And exactly. that's what's going on. You know, it's, it's, about, it's about crime. You make things yeah. hard on people because you don't, you're trying to crank down on crime. The thing is, the people that you're trying to catch, they're smart. Yeah. They'll yeah. find, find a way around it. The people you are giving a hard time are the good people. Yeah. <laughs> That want to do a good job and everything like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I I feel about you know. It's like you make it harder. It's for as an example, uh, as a mom who hires caregivers. You know, like mm. I hear I hear you know friends that talk about oh I put a camera here, I put like camera here, and I put like a camera here. Mm-hmm. And I think well, if you don't trust them to be with your kids, the camera they, they you know you could put all the cameras you want, they can still be mean to your kids. Yep. If I don't have a good vibe with you and trust you with my kids, you know, or, or you, you hire a caregiver and then you lock your bedroom. Yeah. And I'm like, you trust your child with them, but you think they're going to steal yeah. your TV from your room, you know? Yep. Like, it's basic trust. If I don't trust you enough, then everything else, I'm not going to try and, you know, like, make things work. Mm-hmm. 
if I don't trust you enough or if you prove that you're not trustworthy, then you're not a good employee anyway. Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, go with trusting you mm-hmm. that you do your job until you prove me otherwise. Exactly. <laughs> and then it's a conversation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, how can we fix this? How can I support you? What's going on? All right. They keep messing up. Okay. Then, you know, like this isn't working. Like we got to figure it out. <laughs> Either you're not the right person or, you know, we need to figure this out, you know? All right. Well, we're coming up on time. I've kept you for a while. This has been so fun, but I would love for you to um, share about your book, the book that you're working on. Cause I'm like, I can't wait to read it. I am going to read it <laughs> when it comes out this fall. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Cause I think it's like such important. So if you could like, you know, tell us a little bit about your book. Um, and then where folks can um, find you, keep up with you if they want to reach out with yeah. to you for work. Yeah. So my book, first, I didn't know I was going to write a book. Okay. Um, <laughs> when, <laughs> when I started my, well, I, I always, I, I like writing. So I write articles and all that, but I always like writing more of get the thoughts out and just idea, opinions. Um, so I always thought maybe, you know, after I retire, I'm going to probably write a book. Okay. Um. But I started my doctorate program in 2019, and it was primarily because I wanted to do some research around workplace. Okay. Belonging, you know, like belonging, groups, and people, you know, just lack of engagement that I saw. It's like people coming to work every day. So I had all these questions I wanted to figure out. And, of course, I was a scientist, Mm -hmm. and now I wanted to do research in a different place, like social social research. Um, So... When I started the program, I was thinking around belonging, and then I started honing in on, you know, black women, and then I identified that niche, you know, immigrant women. Like, they just I just could see so much connection between immigrants, regardless of where you immigrated from. Mm-hmm. As a woman, I could see the connection more between immigrant women mm-hmm. than women overall, or even mm-hmm. you know, black women in America and an immigrant black woman, you know. So there was yeah. this common thread I was seeing. Anyway, so I ended up, you know, trying to discuss it um, as my doctoral research. And then I realized this is not, a doctoral research has a different, you know, level of constraint. And I I, I thought that this would be a good idea for a book research. Hmm. It means, you know, I want to talk to people. I want to find out what's going on here. I want to investigate. I want to see if there are insights that I can get. So my book is around um, immigrant women in corporate America. And that's the working title. Um, once I get into my um, beta reader stage, I'm going to kind of lock in on, on the final topic. But the idea behind it is that I'm interviewing um, women who are immigrants and who are working in corporate America hmm. because I want to bring those two perspectives together. People talk about immigration a lot, you know, yeah. and it's always around documentation. Even hmm. doing the research for this book, it started off, wanting to use secondary materials. And I couldn't Mm. find anything about immigrant women in corporate. Mm. It's usually around refugees and immigration and illegal and undocumented. But in corporate America, immigrant women, a lot of times have one, most have two degrees, Mm -hmm. you know, super talented, super smart, but there's a different level of, you know, identity, intersection and dynamics that I wanted to find. And again, it's a nonfiction book. It's one of these things where, I don't even know what it is. I'm doing the research. So mm-hmm. I've interviewed about 30 women up to date, and I still have some interviews scheduled. And mm-hmm. I've identified the themes, some themes where for an audience of international students who are female, mm-hmm. immigration, being an immigrant is kind of like a very important dimension. 
but we don't talk about it. We talk about you being a person of color or you being mm. a woman. Yeah. We talk about these two identity dimensions, but there's a third one that is more important if you are an immigrant woman. Mm. And it comes into play together with those other two. So that's like triple yeah. thing <laughs> from and you're going into corporate America and trying to figure out what's going on. And so I wanted to give a resource, a self-help book, some insights from women across different career level. So, so most of the people I interviewed between five and 20 years have been in corporate America. So you can imagine some are just starting, some mm-hmm. are right there in the middle, some are like, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. These are yeah. all the things that I've helped. So I wanted to get that resource out to support international students who are mm-hmm. coming in and also new immigrant women who are just starting in corporate America. How can I get in? How can I stay in? And how can I thrive? Yeah. Oh, that's, well, I'm so excited to read that book. Lola, I got You got to come back on at the, <laughs> you got to come back on later on this year when it, when it, um, when it drops. Cause I'll, I'm, I'm so curious. I'm like fascinated. Um, that's right up my alley of, of, um, of something I would read for sure. Um, and I know that, um, the real fan would want to read it too. So I can't wait for that to get, you know, closer along the way and I'll have you back on if you want to come back on and we can talk specifically about your book. That'd Thank be dope. you. I appreciate that. So now I just have to write it really good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Lola, well, where can folks find you? Where can they keep up with you? Um, so on socials, on LinkedIn, website, all that. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I have a speaker website, personal website, lolaspeaker.com. Okay. Um, I can be reached there. I've got samples of some of my talks. I do public speaking around immigrants, around leadership, um, and around uh, employee resource groups. Most of my speaking awesome. are around that. So I'm on lolaspeaker.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm sure you share my LinkedIn link. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter because I have to be there, but I would say my primary platform is okay. LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to plug everything um, for folks to find you in the show notes. Um, and then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get all that taken care of. So don't even worry about oh, that. Oh, I, awesome. I think one thing I also wanted to mention is on LinkedIn, I have a group that I run. It's called Cross Company Employee Resource Groups. Mm. So it's a group with employee resource group members from different companies. Okay. And we have a monthly meeting, first Friday of every month. We are on Zoom. It's not recorded because, of course, we have people from different companies. Uh, mm. We choose different themes. Um, this has been going on for almost a year now. We choose different themes every month bring a guest speaker or just network and talk about challenges you're facing as an ERG members. And this came from me and my experiences as an ERG member. I Mm. realized a lot of times the work is hard, but then it's also lonely. Mm. You know, if I can't help with the hard work, maybe helping with bridging a network, you know, generate insights. And ultimately that might ease the work and help you take some insights back to your company. So if you're looking for a space to connect with other ERG members from other companies, even if you are not a part of ERG yet, if you're looking to learn about ERGs or you're looking to launch one at your company, Mm. um, you can come into these spaces and ask questions and and meet people. There it is. No, I love that idea. I might pop in. I I don't have an ERG or because I work, I'm a solo uh, operation, but I might pop in because that sounds fun. Um, All right. (laughs) All right, y'all. Um, well, this has been Lola. Thank you so much, Lola. I really appreciate you for coming on again. Thank you, Jonathan. And of course, we have to say thank you to the Black Speakers Collection. Yeah, shout because out to them. 
that's how I found Jonathan um, Madison Butler started yeah. this group. Um, and it's been amazing. I just get so much. I think that's my new ERG. My yeah. space for belonging yeah. <laughs> is just amazing, amazing black people that are doing awesome stuff in their spaces across different fields. And Jonathan posted on there. And I said, I think this sounds like what you're doing is something I want to talk to you about. And yes. so it was a fit. So thank yes, you. Yes, I love there. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that is a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much again for listening. And as always, this podcast was produced by myself, Jonathan Dumas. Additional production help by the incomparable Lindsay Dumas with music by the oh-so-talented Mr. Tony Deras. And don't forget to like, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It really helps folks discover the show. Until next time, y'all. Peace.